about um, how there's no one higher than you, God. Um, no one greater. There's no one like you. God, we've come here this morning to exalt you, to lift you up, to hear from your word, to be encouraged, to be challenged. God, to, be, um, to become more like you. God, we love you and we just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and dismiss the kids for Children's Church. Well, good morning, Maranatha. Today we're beginning a new series called Impact. It's the kind of impact that God wants you and I to have on the world around us. So please open your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Before we dig in, I just want to get everyone thinking about that word impact and the different ways in which we impact one another. And I think a good way for me to do that would be to share with you about my friend, Steve Sass. When I first met Steve, one of the first things I discovered about him was his passion for bodybuilding. When Steve was a freshman in high school, he weighed 135 pounds. And he was six feet tall, barely. By the time I met him as a freshman in college, he weighed 235 pounds. He had gained 100 pounds, and it was all muscle. And there really wasn't any way for him to hide it. No matter what he wore, you could just tell he was huge. So for a tall and skinny guy like me, at the time, I'm still tall, not skinny, it was pretty impressive. I even remember on several occasions when I would go work out with him and how people in the gym would just stop and stare. So without even saying a word, Steve was impacting the people around him. And Steve's passion for bodybuilding, it also rubbed off by what he ate. As a bodybuilder, food really had just one purpose for him, was to make him stronger and to make him bigger. Before competition, Steve would have to consume large amounts of food. Like typically the amount of food I would eat in a day, Steve was consuming every three hours, which meant that he would actually set an alarm several times throughout the night. He would wake up, eat, and then go back to bed. That also rubbed off on me. <laughs> not, not necessarily the waking up in the middle of the night to eat part, but I found myself eating the same foods that Steve would eat. Not only that, but he also impacted me by the way he talked. Steve loved bodybuilding. He had all kinds of books on how to eat healthy and grow muscle. One of those books in particular was called The Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding. It was written by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who I think was like a nine-time Mr. Universe. So not only would Steve teach others about bodybuilding, but he would often do so using Arnold's well-known German accent. <laughs> and that rubbed off on me, too. 
Within a few short months, I began to do what I saw Steve doing. I began to eat what I saw Steve eating. I began to talk the way I heard Steve talking. That is impact. So let me ask you a question. How are you impacting the people in your life? In the passage we'll be looking at this morning, that's what Jesus is talking about. He talks about our impact. So let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, whenever we study a passage in the middle of a book of the Bible, I think it can be helpful if we kind of zoom out and take a bird's eye view of of what is happening. Just before this, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, we're told that Jesus had been going throughout Galilee preaching the good news of the kingdom. The reason why he was preaching the good news, the reason why he was doing what he was doing is because Jesus was on a mission. And his mission was this, to seek and save the lost and to bring them into his Father's kingdom. And not only was that his mission, but it was also the Father's mission for him. In Colossians 1.13, the Apostle Paul says that the result of the Father rescuing us from the dominion of darkness was in order to bring us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Both the Father's heart and the Son's heart were aligned. Their mission was, and still is, to bring sinners who have rebelled against God and have put their faith in Christ and repented of their sins to bring them into God's kingdom that he might adopt them as his own, that they might become the children of God. And his mission is to become our mission. Jesus knew full well that in just a few years, he would be leaving the earth. And so Jesus wanted to prepare his disciples for his departure We can see this clearly in Jesus' prayer the night before he was crucified in John 17. This is where Jesus prays to the Father. And he says, Father, I've completed the work. I've completed the mission that you gave me to do. That he revealed the glory to the Father, of the Father, to those who would put their faith in him. And he asked the Father to protect them because he was about to leave the world. And so he asked the Father to equip them, 
to equip his disciples and to prepare them for the mission that they would now have. Because while on earth, men and women believed in Christ through his message, now that he would be leaving, they would have to believe in Christ through their message. Through their message about him. The world would now come to believe in Christ through them. So they would have to represent Christ in the world. They would have to speak his message. They would have to live his life. This was their mission, and it's our mission as well. So here in Matthew 5, as Jesus is joined by his disciples after sitting down on a mountainside, Jesus begins to teach them, in what what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to teach them about this kingdom and the role that they would have in it. And he begins with the Beatitudes. There's eight of them. The first seven describe the character of those who are in God's kingdom. It describes who they are. It's what they look like. It's how they live. And then the last Beatitude, in verses 10, 11, and 12, describes the way the world is going to respond to them. Here's how you're supposed to be, and here's how the world will respond. And in a word, the world's response to them, the world's response to us, Jesus says it's persecution. They're going to insult us. They're going to falsely accuse us. They're going to slander us. They might even be physically violent towards us. That's how the world responds to those who are truly Christ, to those who live like the Beatitudes. It's how they responded to Jesus. And so he says, hey, you shouldn't be surprised when they respond to you the same way. So Jesus says, this is what you should look like. Here's how the world's going to treat you. And then in verses 13, 14, 15, and 16, he says, now here's your response back. Here's how you're going to respond to the world. And in these four verses, Jesus gives us our purpose. He gives us our mission. Reduced to its simplest form, we could say that our mission is to have an impact. If you belong to God's kingdom, then Jesus wants you to make an impact on the world. In verse 13, he says, we are the salt of the earth. In verses 14 through 16, he says, we are the light of the world. These were common, ordinary items, even in the poorest of homes. Every home in the first century would have had salt and they would have had a small oil lamp. So Jesus takes two very common items from ordinary life and he uses them as metaphors to show what kind of impact we are to have. And this morning, we're going to look at the first one. You are the salt of the earth. 
So what does that mean? You are the salt of the earth. There's a lot of uses for salt. But I think the two most common ways it would have been used and thought of by Jesus' disciples would have been as seasoning for food and also as a preservative. As a seasoning, salt, I mean, just makes food taste better. It draws out the savory flavor of meats. It reduces the bitter taste in things like grapefruit or coffee. And it adds a really good balance to things like chocolate. So as a seasoning, it's fair to say that salt blesses the food that it comes into contact with. And as a preservative, salt would stop the decay of meat. Some of the disciples were fishermen. They, they were very familiar with, okay, what do you do now that you've caught these fish? How do we take them to market? How do we sell them? They didn't have refrigerators back then. And so the only way to keep meat from spoiling was to rub salt into it. And food, or meat, just like humans, is primarily composed of water. And so food-borne bacteria, in order to grow, it needs to have water or moisture in order to survive. So by adding the salt to food, the salt ends up working through a process called osmosis. Essentially, the salt draws the water molecules out of the food, replaces them with itself until an equilibrium has occurred. At that point where that equilibrium has occurred, there's now not enough moisture for that bacteria to grow. In other words, the salt stops the decay or it stops the corruption of the food. So what's the point? What similarity is is Jesus trying to draw between Christians and salt? I think what he was trying to say is that it is both of these. Is that food, is it salt by its presence impacts food. Salt was not the food. It was distinct from the food. It was separate from the food. But it was put on the food for a specific purpose. So let's think of it in terms of seasoning. right? In the same way we season food to make it taste better. I think that's what we as Christians should be to the world around us. We should impact the world by our presence. When I first became a Christian, my parents were very, very skeptical of my new faith in Christ. They, they, to, to be completely honest, they thought I had joined a cult. They were worried. They were nervous. All this, you know, it's like all this talk about Jesus All this talk about lifting weights, like, what's wrong with you? Um. (laughs) Until they realized the changes that it brought about in our relationship. I was different. I was now obedient to them. I now listened to them. I was now honoring them. 
I was now looking for ways to serve them. And on different occasions, each of my parents told me they liked the new Thad better. Maybe, maybe this whole God thing wasn't such a bad thing after all. So I think in that sense, you could say I was being salt. I was impacting the relationship that I had with my parents. Also, we need to think of salt in terms of preserving, how it stops food from, from spoiling. That, too, is what we as Christians should be like to the world around us. Before I became a Christian, my life was impacted in this way. I had met some Christians, and, and often they would come over and visit, and on one occasion, after hanging out for a few hours, in my dorm room, one of them asked me a question. They said this. They said, Thad, how do you think God feels about the way you look at these women on your walls? They were referring to the posters and the pictures that I had. I don't know how I answered that question, but I do know that as soon as they left, I tore them all down and I threw them away. And I wasn't even a Christian. But their presence in my life had convicted me. They could see the decay. They could see the corruption in my life. And they weren't mean, and they weren't rude, and they weren't like in my face. But in a loving and kind way, they just, they just said, hey, how does God think about what you're doing? They were salt. And in that sense, that, that, that really stopped some decay in my life. They saw an opportunity to push back against corruption. The corruption brought about by sin in the world. Our presence is supposed to make an impact. That's why Jesus says his followers are to be Salt. But he doesn't just say, be salt. He says, be the salt of the earth. We're to be of the earth. What he means by that is we're to be in the world. Referring again to Jesus' prayer in John 17, we, we really can see why we are of the earth, why we're the salt of the earth why we're to be in the world. Because beginning in verse 14, Jesus says, my prayer, Father, is that you not take them out of the world because verse 18, I have sent them into the world so that verse 21, that the world might believe you have sent me. In order to accomplish the mission, we have to be in the world. In order for salt to fulfill its purpose, it can't stay 
in the storage bin. It can't stay in the salt bag. It can't stay in the salt shaker. It has to be out in the world. You can't be the salt of the earth if you always want to hang around with the other salt crystals. So what Jesus is saying is he's saying, don't isolate yourself from unbelievers. Jesus didn't do that. And neither should we. He wants us to be in the world. And so Jesus, knowing this, he's he's telling us what to do. So he gives us a warning. He He says this, the second half of Matthew 5.13. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? One of of their main sources of salt was the Dead Sea. In the process of, of gathering their salt, real salt would get mixed in with gypsum and, and other minerals. And so if they didn't store their salt carefully, the real salt would end up leaching out. And what they would be left with was a mixture that had too much other stuff and not enough salt. But it looked like salt. And to make matters worse, because salt was so valuable in the first century, Dishonest merchants would often mix in these substances to pad their profits, to make the real salt that they had go a little bit further. So if the salt you bought and stored had lost its saltiness, if it it had become tasteless, then you basically found out it's not the real deal. It isn't salt after all. So Jesus says, how can it be made salty again? It can't. It's no longer good for anything, Jesus says. Literally, the text in the Greek says it has power for nothing. It has no impact. So what do you do with worthless salt? There's only one thing you can do. You throw it out. And it gets trampled on. Basically, it's useless good for nothing. By saying this, Jesus is warning us that what happened with salt back then can happen to us. Our lives can become so contaminated by the world that we lose our ability to have an impact. It happens when we make compromises with our sin when we conform ourselves to the world. It's when we live and think and talk just like the unbelievers around us. Rather than being distinct from the world, we look just like it. And at that point, we're useless. We're no longer good the mission. But instead, Jesus says, you are salt. He doesn't say become salt. He doesn't say you are becoming salt. He says you are salt. He has put you in the place 
where you are to be in order to season, in order to preserve. So don't hide who you are. Don't try to blend in. This week, probably every single one of us is going to be given the opportunity to be the salt of the earth. Something will happen, and we're going to have to make a decision. What are we going to do? When that dirty joke comes along, or that dishonest business practice is suggested, or when a friend suggests you cheat on your assignment, what are you going to do? Are you going to speak up, or are you just going to blend in? Jesus is telling us to be the salt of the earth. So how do we do it? How do we be the salt of the earth? First of all, I think we align our hearts with the characteristics described by Jesus in the Beatitudes. We read them, we study them, we meditate upon them, and we ask God to make us more and more like them. Instead of being prideful, we desire to be poor in spirit and continually acknowledge our great need for God. Instead of being entertained by sin or laughing at sin, we mourn over it. We mourn over the sin in our lives and we mourn over the sin in other people's lives. Instead of complaining about our circumstances, we submit ourselves to God's providence in our lives. Instead of longing for all the wrong things, we hunger and thirst for the things that please God. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. Instead of being moved by the trouble of others, we show genuine compassion. Instead of having a heart that loves sin, we pursue purity. We flee from sin. We flee from our youthful passions. And we pursue purity. We pursue Christ. Instead of being angry and quick to argue, we become peacemakers. And instead of being harsh with people, we become gentle and gracious with them. We align our hearts with these beatitudes. These describe who we are, who we are to be. And secondly, we do exactly what they did. We go to Jesus. Notice what Matthew 5 verse 1 says. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. They came to him. Being the salt of the earth is not something we were meant to do on our own. 
We need Jesus in order to do it. Just like the first disciples. We need to be willing to get away from everything else in the world. Climb up a mountain if need be. And just come to Jesus. Seeing the disciples do this, it reminds me of just how great their need for him was, and it reminds me just how great our need for him really is. We don't just go to him in order to be salt. We also go to him when we've failed to be salt. Maybe as you've been listening this morning, you're sitting there thinking about all the ways in which you've failed to be the salt of the earth to the people in your life. I think there's some good news here. We are all prone to wander. We are all prone to stray without Jesus. Because not not only are we the salt of the earth, but Jesus also would later say, we are sheep. And as sheep, we need a shepherd. And that shepherd is Jesus. And so I'd like to close with the words of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. It says this. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. Think about that for a moment. The path to living for righteousness, the path to living a life that pleases God, it's not found by focusing on the ways in which you and I have failed. It's not found by beating ourselves up for the ways in which we've fallen short. Instead, it's found in the gospel. It's found by putting our faith in Christ and repenting of our sins. It's not by focusing on ourselves and focusing on our failures, but it's by focusing on Jesus and his wounds. And then in verse 25, it says, For you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Just like at the moment of salvation, when you were going astray, you return to the shepherd of your soul. So in the same way, if you've fallen short of being the salt of the earth, And we come back to Jesus. We come back to him. And we align our hearts with who we're supposed to be. And we remember our mission in this world because we're picking up his mission. We want to seek and save that which is lost. We want to be the salt of the earth. We want to be the light of the world so that people might see, so people might see and praise him and be able to, in that that expression of praise, 
to be able to enter into his kingdom and not just praise him for a momentary good work, but praise him forever and ever and ever. That's the mission Jesus is calling us to. You are the salt of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we, um, God, it's, it's so many things about you are amazing. Uh, one of the biggest is that you forgive us. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve your forgiveness. We don't deserve your love. And we have all rebelled against you. You have chosen, you have purposed in your heart to save and to redeem those who are lost, those who have rebelled against you. So God, we, we just are in awe of your grace. We're in awe of your forgiveness. And God, we are also in awe that you would want us to be a part of this mission, that you would want us to be a part of your plan to seek and save the lost. God, may you help us, may you encourage us, may you continue to challenge us through your word on how we might make an impact in this world, not for our sake, not for our glory, but for yours. It's in his name we pray, amen.